Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Two weeks from today, we'll be, in the, we'll be celebrating Pascha, or rather the very beginning of our celebration of Pascha. This gospel reading is appointed for today, obviously for our salvation, for our hearing, but because it is an event that happened about this time. If we read in, or you heard in the gospel reading today, it says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, Jesus tells the disciples, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. He's going up to Jerusalem. From where? Where has he been? And why is he going there? This is at the end of his three-year ministry. He has been in the desert regions beyond the Jordan where John the Baptist was baptizing. And he told his disciples that he is going up to wake Lazarus, who has fallen asleep. And he is on this journey with his disciples. Now, in the reading today, we didn't get the verse that it actually is the very first verse. And it says, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. There was something about Jesus in his demeanor that he was resolute. He was approaching his final teachings, his final lessons. And he is in the lead. Apparently, when the crowds were following him, he was not always the one in the lead. There were crowds out in front of him. But he was in the lead. His disciples were amazed. And the crowd was afraid. What is going on? Now on this trip back to um, Jerusalem or near Jerusalem, he'll encounter several people. He'll, uh, he'll heal a blind man. And if we read the scriptures carefully, it's here it seems that he encounters Zacchaeus. It's a, a, a very event-filled expedition as he travels the road to Jerusalem. He raises... Lazarus from the dead, as we will commemorate next week. And this precipitates his holy passion. And so we hear him pulling aside his disciples. He's again saying this, and I think this is at least the third time he's told them. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit upon him and scourge him and kill him. And what do James and John say? Essentially, they say, yes, yes, Lord, we've heard you say this before, but we don't really understand what you mean. But I've got this plan. We would like you to have us sit on your right hand and your left hand when you come into your glory. Because they've heard him teach a lot. And they know that whatever is going to happen, that he is going to be raised in glory. And they want to be a part of that. And Jesus, with this sort of non-sequitur answer that they give him, doesn't say to them, seriously? Are you kidding me? You've been with me three years. I've told you these things. And still you don't understand. And still... You are concerned with your own glory. 
So Jesus, he doesn't say this, by the way. Jesus, just before his greatest humiliation, his greatest teaching on humiliation, his suffering and his death on the cross, in his gentle, humble meekness, with tender care, he pulls the tent aside and he said, he explains to them, you do not know really what you're asking. You don't really understand. And he explains to them that they indeed would share in his sufferings. They would share in deaths not unlike his. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant. Of course it is his to grant, and he has granted in all of eternity. But in his humility as God the man, he does not grasp or take anything away from that which has been appointed by God. He says to them, you know that those who are supposed to rule over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over men, over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He, our Lord, is approaching Jerusalem where he, where he will die. He will lay himself low. And yet we struggle with the same struggles that the apostles did. He has one more lesson he wants to show them. And that lesson will be lived out in his body. See, Nikolai, Nikolai of Velomorovic says, humility to the point of scorning itself and love to the point of death, these are the lessons the Lord sought to implant in the hearts of his disciples, uprooting from them the weeds of pride, self-esteem, and vanity. How often are we like James and John? The Lord is speaking to us things, deep things, things for our salvation. And we're like, yeah, yes, yes, Lord, but I really need this, or I really want this. We hear, but perhaps we're not really listening. We're not really understanding. Like James and John, the Lord is speaking to us all of the time. But we have our own agendas. We have our own plans. We have our own desire for glory. In our pride, the pride of life, we can't hear God because we've, we've got our own soundtrack going. Now, how is it that God speaks to us? Because he is speaking to us all the time. He is speaking to us in the Gospels. He is speaking to us in the teachings of the church. He is speaking to us through the living icons that he brings to us each day, through other people in our lives. He is speaking to us in the lives of the saints. And if we would quiet ourselves, if we would humble ourselves, as if, as he is teaching to, as if he, excuse me, 
as he is attempting to teach us, then he would speak to us in our hearts. I hope you'll agree that God is speaking to us all the time. And we, like James and John, are failing to hear him. We are distracted by our own pride. And what is the, what is the answer? How can we hear God? How can we listen better? Well, the gospel answers for us. Humility, to put ourselves lower and to make ourselves servants of God, yes, but servants of one another. The answer is humility. St. Paisios famously said, him being a former radio man in the, in the World War II, if you want to tune into God so he listens to you when you pray, turn the knob to humility, for on this frequency, God always operates, and humbly ask for his mercy. The frequency which God speaks is the frequency of humility. And we can only hear him, and he can only hear us when we humble ourselves, when we recognize the pride in our hearts and all of the things that keep us. Now, when I say pride, it's a hard word because we think of being puffed up and full of ourselves. Well, I guess that's what I'm saying, is that we are puffed up and full of ourselves. We are full of our own life, our own plans, our own agendas, and we have our spiritual life as kind of this side gig. You know, it's this thing we've got going on. And it's a part of our lives, and it's very important to us, but our life sometimes does not let that spiritual life come in. And we are distracted and we fail to hear what God is telling us. Have any of you ever had the sensation that God is really speaking to you? He's calling you to something deeper, something better, something higher, something more than you've experienced before, and yet you really don't know what to do. And so, what do you do? Well, you just do what you normally do. You pursue your own glory, your own comfort, your own life, whatever you happen to be doing. St. Paisios again. Humility and love. There you have it. This is everything. Our Lord is on his way to the cross in the gospel today. Although the disciples don't yet understand or know it. And this morning, you venerated an icon in the back. And most of you maybe know what that icon of Christ in the back is called. It's called extreme humility. Our Lord wants us to humble ourselves, and so he shows us how to do that, the ultimate example of his love and the most extreme humility demonstrating his love. Now today, the church also offers to us another example of extreme humility, St. Mary of Egypt. Now, not very many of you were at the service on Thursday where we heard her whole life read. Many of you have heard her life read before, and, um, but many of you maybe have not heard her life. So I'm not going to read her life because that would be too much, as, much as, as, as tempting as it is to do so. The St. Mary of Egypt, I'll just try to summarize if I'm, if I'm able. 
St. Mary of Egypt, as a young girl, left her home and traveled to the big Greek city of Alexandria in Egypt. And she spent the next 17 years pursuing, as she describes it, a filthy life, a sensually perverse life, pursuing her own glory, so to speak, her own pleasure, her own passions, to the hilt, with never a thought to God, apparently. 17 years she spent and tempted and caused many, many young men and others to stumble and to sin, living this completely, sensually filthy life, in, in her words. And one day, she noticed a bunch of young men who were her usual prey running down towards the docks to catch a boat. And the boat was on its way to the Holy Land where they were making a pilgrimage to, the, to visit the Holy Sepulchre and the, the elevation of the true cross. Because in these days, we had the true cross in the temple in Jerusalem. And she manages to get her way onto the ship and travels across, across the sea and winds up in Jerusalem. And she notices, and she continues her harlot ways, even in Jerusalem in the days before the feast. The time of the feast comes and everybody is funneling towards the church. And it's a huge crowd and throng. And she says, all right, let's go. I'm going to go in too. And as she elbows her way into the crowd. She makes her way into this crowd and starts pushing towards the doors. And as everybody reaches the threshold of the doors into the church, they pass through just fine. But she is mystically, mysteriously prevented. It's as if somebody took her aside and pushed her physically out of the way. It wasn't so much like she hit some sort of a force field or something, but it was as if, as she said, a, a battalion of soldiers had grabbed her and thrown her off. Now, she didn't quite get what was happening, and she tried this three or four times, essentially exhausting herself, getting herself into the line of people going into the church, and each time being blocked. And she sat exhausted over to the side on a little porch. And here are her words. Having repeated my attempt three or four times, at last I felt exhausted and had no more strength to push and to be pushed. So I went aside and stood in the corner of the porch. And only then, slowly, with great difficulty, it began to dawn on me. I began to understand the reason why I was prevented from being admitted to see the life-giving cross. The word of salvation gently touched the eyes of my heart and revealed to me that it was my unclean life which barred the entrance to me. I began to weep and lament and beat my breast and to sigh from the depths of my heart. And so I stood weeping when I saw above me the icon of the most holy mother of God. And turning to her, my bodily and spiritual eyes, I said, O Lady, Mother of God, who gave birth in the flesh to God the Word, I know, oh well, I know, that it is no honor or praise to thee 
when one so impure and depraved as I look up to thy icon. O ever virgin, who didst keep thy body and soul in purity, rightly do I inspire hatred and disgust before thy virginal purity. But I have heard that God, who was born of thee, became a man on purpose to call sinners like me to repentance. Then help me, for I have no other help. Be my faithful witness before the Son that I will never again defile my body by the impurity of fornication. But as soon as I have seen the tree of the cross, I will renounce the world and its temptations, and I will go wherever you will send me. God is speaking to all of us all the time. And God was speaking to St. Mary her whole life. For 17 years in her life of harlotry, God was speaking to her. But in her life, she gave no room to hear. She could not hear what God was speaking. And she has this experience that humbles her to the core. And all of a sudden, like the prodigal son, she comes to her senses. She comes to herself. And she suddenly realizes what the Lord has been speaking to her all this time. It's clear from her words that she knew some of the truth of the gospel all of this time. She knew who the Theotokos was and her significance, and she knew to whom to plead. But what did it take for her to hear the words of God? It took humility. Now forgive me, to make a long story short, shorter, she left from there. She had communion in the church the next day and was directed by the Virgin Mary across the Jordan into the desert, the same place where Jesus had been with his disciples before his journey started today in the gospel. And she wandered far off out into that desert. And she spent an unbelievable 47 years by herself, seeing no other human, doing what? Humbling her body and her soul, repenting of her sins. She struggled for 17 years, she said, with the, the intense temptations that she had spent the previous 17 years feeding all the time. And it took that 17 years to put those to death, falling on the ground with copious tears, and staying there until she would be met by the comfort of the Theotokos. Later in life, by God's grace and providence, she meets an elderly monk and relays her story to him. And in that interaction, she is shown to be clairvoyant. She is shown to float in the air when she prays. She's shown to be able to walk on water and to know all of the scriptures by heart, even though she doesn't read anything. And yet, she never saw herself as anything other than a sinful woman. The identity that she kept, or that she had nurtured as a person in the world, she kept as a redeemed person. And in her repentance, she identified herself 
as nothing other than a sinful woman. Now, her life is, is extreme. And I confess to you that I've struggled to relate to her and really understand how I can apply her extreme repentance and humility to my own life. But I think there are a couple of takeaways that we can, we can apply to our own lives. How long was her repentance? 47 years she was there? 17 years there struggling? Well, we can, we, we're probably not called to such a struggle in the desert alone. But we are called to a lifetime of humility and repentance. And we have to recognize that repentance is not instantaneous. And of course, you all know this. How many of you have had to confess the same sins over and over and over again? Because even though we are repentant, even though we are confessing those sins, we have yet to humble ourselves to be able to hear the Lord as to how we can overcome those sins. And so we have great need to emulate her deep humility. Another example for her that we have from her in its extremeness is that repentance requires us, newsflash, to change. But it requires us to make changes in our lives. So that when we have a certain sin, and we go and we confess that sin, and we're tired of that sin, and we repent of that sin, oftentimes we don't make any changes in our lives, circumstantially, that will help us overcome that sin. We go back to the same habits, the same routines, the same diet, the same friends, the same books, the same TV shows, the same habits, the same routines of life. And we wonder why we have to confess those same sins again. It teaches us that we may need to make changes in our lives in accordance with our repentance so that our repentance can be serious so that we can truly humble ourselves. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we have one week left of the great fast, of great Lent, and this time has been appointed for us to get in touch with our humility, rather, to get in touch with the Lord's humility and to emulate Him. So whether we have been lazy and half-heartedly fasted and half-heartedly given alms, it is not too late. We have not squandered our whole lives maybe only a little time. And we can now focus ourselves. And we can, as the gospel says, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And there the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and he will be humiliated and killed. Let us humble ourselves and go with him. And as Thomas said, let us go with him that we may die with him. And that his humility may be, in some small part, transferred to us. That we might be able to hear what God is saying to us, make those changes, repent, and be saved from these sins. Amen.
follow along. This is the final Sunday at which we have the liturgy of St. Basil the Great. Let us all say with our whole soul, with our whole mind, let us say. Yeah, Lord Almighty God of our fathers, we pray to you, hear us, and have mercy. Yeah, have mercy on us, O 